Good morning. Tell you what, if you didn't know me, you would actually think I'm something. <laughs> but praise God, Dad and Brother Donald, you get them two guys talking good about you, it costs you a lot. <laughs> and that, well, let's go. Are you ready? Don't got a whole lot of time. Um, saying all that to say this, victory is not a church. Victory is a lifestyle. And you got to understand that's what God's calling us to. That's what you're a part of. That's what you're in. We're one church in soon to be five cities, and I'm pumped about that. You know, we launched a uh, Victory Monroe Facebook page actually nine days ago, and we already have 148 followers or friends or likes that are following us. I'm pumped about it. And so if you want to know why we need a Victory Church, there's a video on it. Why we need a Victory Church in Monroe. Because there's people in Monroe that are dying and going to hell. We need a victory church everywhere that happens, I believe, because God uses this church to do great things. Look at us. I tell you, are y'all the second best looking campus we got? For real. <laughs> to me, El Dorado, you know, they just got better for sure. They got, I don't know. Gulf Shores has got one of the best looking girls you have ever seen in it. I'm married to her. But uh, that makes y'all the third. Mm, that's never fun. But yeah, let's um, let's go to this thing. Yeah, Jennifer's always trying to help me become a better preacher, and um, so for Valentine's Day this year, she got me a Google Home. How many of you guys have one of those yet? You know, I, I argued and fought with her all the time. We don't need nothing like that in the house, but uh, she, because I'm all big brothery stuff, I don't want people hearing me cuss at her when um, she makes me mad. So I was like, we don't need that. And so she got me one anyway. She's like, I got you this to help you preach better. I was like, how in the world is that going? She goes, it'll help you with your jokes. So I'm going to try one of them out on you, okay? I said, hey, Google, tell me a joke. And it said, said, what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? And I waited a minute and it goes, one of them's extremely heavy and the other's a little lighter. <laughs> it's going to take you a minute. And if you're not a smoker, my little girls were like, I don't get it. Because <laughs> they, they don't know what a Zippo is. But uh, so you be the judge. I don't know if that helps me be a better preacher or not. But yeah, we're jumping into a series. We're kind of in the middle of this series in Eldorado called Legacy. Living life larger than who we are. That's what you were born to do. That's what you were created to be. And the problem with it is the enemy's always constantly trying to get us off the understanding of that and tries to get us to think that life is really about just what we are. And we serve the Lord and we live for God and we, we you know, obey the Bible because of what it gives us. And I'm here to tell you, you get good stuff. But more importantly that is you were created to be a part of something. And God created you to do something here that far exceeds what you have the ability to do. God's created you in such a way that your life is to be more than what you could ever cause it to be. And, you know, I was asking Jen, I said, you know, Jen, if you want to really help me be a better preacher, I need to borrow something of yours this week to use that illustration. I needed a car door, but she would not let me have her car door. So she let me use a flashlight. You know, in the Bible... Today, today's a neat day, and I'm excited about this message because of the, the practical side of the ministry fair outside today. Because I'm telling you, today will change your life Amen. if you will lean in, if you will open your ears, Amen. if 
you will hear what God is saying in this, and you will walk out and do it. All right? You know, in the Bible, the Bible says that you are the light of the world. Now, that's real exciting and good. And the thing about it is you were created to be a light. Now, I'm going to drop back down to the real simple stuff, but then we'll go into the bigger. All right? Just like this flashlight. This flashlight was created specifically to produce light. Now, it's made up of all different kinds of things. It's made up of plastic and wires and metal and glass and things. But it was created for a flashlight, to be a flashlight, to produce light. But the truth is, there's nothing in this that can produce what it was created to produce without there being a power source on the inside. A lot of people don't understand why life don't work. is because they're trying to do their life and be what God made them to be, but they want to do it through their own power. You need to understand, you will never make life work unless you understand it takes the power of God inside of you to be what you were created to be. I mean, you can go through this whole life trying to do things in your own effort and never produce or be or get the fulfillment or joy out of what you were here to do. I'm telling you, unless you allow the power of God to be the main focus of your life. It's just plastic, glass, wire, spring until the battery goes in. When the power's in, then it transforms something that would never be able to do what it could do on its own into something that is just mind-boggling to me. I don't even understand how light even works. Praise God. But it is amazing. But the God said, God said, you're the light. And a lot of people can understand that. They, they get the understanding that God wants me to be a light. But that's not all that scripture says. Then it takes life as in purpose, you being the light, and singular-minded, and it takes it into a corporate level. Then it says a city. It says a city. So he goes from a singular item to what a city is, is a multiple component, part of multiple lives being together and apart. He didn't say house. He said city. I'm saying that to say this. You were never meant to live life alone. You were made to be a part of something. See, a lot of people get in their mind that you just being a light is enough. But that's not all the scripture says. But you're also a city. You're also supposed to be a part of something that does more than just shine light, says that a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Something so much bigger than a light. A city, I don't know if you travel in planes or not, but if you fly, it's it's amazing because, you know, you'll be... You'll be driving and fly, I mean, you'll be flying and looking out the window. And at night when you're there, it is amazing. You know where you're at or you know where you're at because of all the lights that are compressed together in a city. It like glows. That's what it is. See, he said, a lot of people is like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be a witness. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do what God's called me to do. I'm supposed to be a light. But then we try to disconnect from being the city. So today we're calling life living larger than who you are, it really comes out of you being a part of what God's created you to be a part of. You're created to be a part of something more than you. Not just do more than you, but be a part of something more than you. 
Now, I was reading the Bible one day, and it made me feel real good about it, because I was reading in Genesis chapter 2.18, and um, I was reading the King James. And it says this, it says, And the Lord God said, it says, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. Now, man, that is weird. That's the New King James. You got the King James? The New King James says, helper. The King James Version actually says he will make him a help meet. And I thought, wow, I don't feel so bad about my spelling skills. King James even messed it up. And because uh, I've always thought or heard or heard it preached that help him make him a help mate. And so a lot of times people think or the enemy tries to convince them that what God was talking to Adam there was that and said it's not good for him to be alone, so I'm going to create him somebody to marry. That's not what God did. He did give him a helper and made him a mate. But if you're not married, there's still purpose and goal and, and uh, legacy for you. It says, help me. What, what does that mean? You, now you can go back to King James, New King James if you want to. It don't matter. But it says, it says, I will make him a helper. Now, if for some reason we got mate wrong with meat, that meat is actually, when you do the research, comes down to relationship. He was made to have a relationship. It's not good for man to be alone. He was created to, to be all that you can be. It's going to take you being a part of something bigger, not just a light, but a city. You not just having a, a marriage, but you being a part of a relationship. Then it said this. He said that the way Adam was able to do that was he became a helper. He said, I will make him a helper. Then it says Someone compatible for him. I want to put this before you. You know, we there at Gulf Shores campus. I'm pumped about it. It was funny. Our congregation there. We run, you know, roughly anywhere from 40 to 70 on the weekly basis. But about 35 of them are all young single women. You know, 30 and below. And so um, that probably the reason that probably is because Jennifer is one of the main people actively involved in helping that campus grow. She's there a lot more than I am. And so there's all these young ladies. So we just come through Valentine's Day. So during Valentine's Day, the girls were really wanting to um, have a relationship seminar. Now, this is going to be free. How many single people do we have in here? Ready if you're single. This, you want to know the secrets to being single? All right, because this was their question. All right, because they don't think life is fulfilled until they get married or they find the right ones. For some reason, we've given that stereotype. You, you can be completely fulfilled, unmarried. As a matter of fact, Paul said that it's even better that you're not for the work of the ministry, but you're not supposed to do it alone because you need to be a part of something bigger. You're part of a city. But uh, so the girls were asking this. They're like, you know, well, how do you find the right one? You want to know the secret real quick about these things? Anybody want to? All right, how do, how do you find it? Well, the Bible says that when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. So the man's supposed to be the hunter, right? Women... If you're out looking for a man, you're blowing it. All right? You're blowing it. The man is supposed to be the hunter. All right? The one that finds. And so the question is, all right, where does the man look? He's supposed to look in the field. Because the Bible says, Boaz saw Ruth in the field. And when she saw Ruth in the field, it says he fell in love with her, right? Then in Song of Solomon, it says, oh, look at my dark skin. You know, and he's talking about how beautiful she is. She was, and she goes, oh, don't look at my dark skin because of me working in the field. In other words, she was in the field when he found her. You want to find a man, woman? Get involved in a ministry. Become a helper. 
in a ministry, get in a field, because the Bible tells men where they're supposed to look. But Jesus told all his disciples, he said, y'all look, look at the field. It's white unto harvest. Then he even went as far to talk about who's in the field. He says, you know, the, the harvest is plentiful, but there's not a whole lot of girls out there. So you need to look. He said, the laborers are few. He said, so get in there and look. So you find that's what you need to be looking for. So this is for the single people. All right. If you're here and you're a single woman, man, ministry is where God causes the men to notice you. Men, you need to get involved in a ministry so that you can find a woman that God would help you be all that you could be. But that's, I, I, always, I joke with Yvette about it because Yvette did not find the woman of his dreams until he started going to singles ministry. And then he found Joyce, who started going to El to single ministry. How cool is that? Now they're getting married next month. So I'm pumped about that. And El Church just grew a new member. <laughs> All right. That was free. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being a part of something bigger. All right. Now, the Bible says this. You're the light of the world. Your city set on a hill cannot be hidden. All right. But, so you can't create, do your purpose till you get the power. But the thing about it is the thing about the Word of God and the prophet God, they have to be activated. Just because the battery's in the light doesn't make the light come on. I have to push the button. There are certain things that you're going to have to do if you want the blessings of God to come about in your life. Now, I'm going to jump all over the place because I preached this for weeks in El Dorado. You guys get today. So what we're going to talk about today is living life legacy, being more than what you are, and you were created to be a part of something. We're going to talk about what it is you're supposed to be a part of. But before we do that, you need to understand... Just because you're created and just because you have the power on the inside of you does not make you come on. It does not activate it. The Word of God, every part of it has to be activated. That means you have a part to play. Just like you walk in a dark room, if you don't have a motion detector in that room, you better flip the switch because the switch is not, the light's not going to come on. Everything's there to make it happen, but you have to activate it. I want to talk to you today about what it takes to activate your destiny. What it takes for you to live a life of legacy. Now, in Matthew chapter 14, the Bible talks about one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever did. One of the greatest miracles he ever did was when he fed the 5,000. He took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 people. That's amazing. But you've got to look a little deeper into the story. There's a lot in that story than just him meeting people's needs. There's a lot of hidden in it because... Later, when they were in the storm and in the situation, Jesus questioned, why didn't you just see what I just did? Why, why are you even questioning this stuff? Because there's a lot in this story more than people getting their needs met. thing about it is, the story starts off and it says this, Jesus, the people follow Jesus into a desertous place. One translation says desolate place, desert, wilderness. All these words are used to describe where Jesus was teaching these 5,000. Right, so they followed Jesus into a desert place. And let me just say this. Uh, sometimes when you're following Jesus, you end up in a desert place. doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that even Jesus was led by the Spirit into a wilderness, and there was a devil in the wilderness, and the Spirit knew it. You need to understand something. If you're in a desertless place right now, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. But what it does mean is you can do something about it. And so the Bible says there were 5,000 people in a desert place, and it says this, it said, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, send these people home, they're hungry. They don't have anything to eat. And Jesus says, no, we're not going to send them home. I'm going to take care of this. I'm paraphrasing, of course. I'm going to take care of this. And uh, what do you got I can use? You need to know something. 
Every single person in here, God expects you to give him what you have so he can use it. So he said, what do you got that I can use? He said, well, all we got is five loaves, two fishes. And they said, well, that's not enough. They, this, this won't feed them. None of us ever feel like we have enough for God to use. But again, it's not about what you are. It's about the power on the inside of you and the difference that your life is supposed to make. So he said, what, what do you got? And he said, we don't have enough, and, but we got five loaves, two fishes. And this is what the Bible says. No, it says, so he took them in the desertless, de- deserted place, desolate place. All right, three times in the scripture before this takes place, the word desolate place, wilderness, or deserted place is used. And then this is what he said next. Before the miracle took place, these people were all hungry. They had great need. They were going through. They were following Jesus. They were there to hear it, but they found themselves in a place of great need or even discomfort. And then the Bible said this. Jesus said, I want you to take them. I want you to put them in groups of 50. Now, this is very important. We think the miracle started when he prayed, broke, and gave bread. That's not where the miracle started. Because for three times it says it was a desolate, a desert place, a wilderness. It says when they got in a group of 50. In other words, they just weren't at a service. They took the next step. And although they were a part of a church or in a service, they connected into a smaller group inside of that service. It says then they sat down on grass. You want your life to work. You want your life, God, to be able to begin to produce things in your life. It's going to take more than you being a light. There is a connection that God uses, the connection to the city to bring life into certain places of your life that you can't get life in on your own. And when you connect, it's, why, why, why would that be important? To me, it would have been quicker to feed 5,000 people in a buffet line. You know, let them get what they want. Let them sit with who they want to sit with. Let them hang out the way they want to hang out. No, but there was, he specifically went into detail, said, sit them down in groups of 50. And there were specific numbers to this group. And because what happened there was this. When they got together, their circumstances, their environment, their situation began to change. Things began to grow is the way I picture it in my mind. What they couldn't make happen before began to change. Now, I'm sure there were people sitting by people that they didn't like or didn't know. But the thing about it was that you were never created to do this alone. You were created to be a part. So I want to talk real quick about four things that God created you to be a part of. And when you understand these things, it gives God, and when you actually begin to activate these things in your life, it gives God an opportunity to begin to change not just your world, And not just your life, but he begins to change your effectiveness on this planet at this moment and on this time. Because you got to understand, God has such greater plans for you than you could ever imagine. In Psalms 139, it says this. It says that he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Knew your innermost parts. You were wonderfully and beautifully created. I can connect with all that. I like those scriptures. But then it said this. It says he had more thoughts about you than there are sands on the seashore. That's a lot of sand. I mean, it's a lot of thoughts. I don't know. I mean, he did. He said sand's on the seashores. So there's a lot of sand on one beach. Can you imagine? He's had eternity to sit around and think and plan you out. 
And the thing about it is we think a lot of times that these thoughts are negative because of all the mistakes we made and all the things, ways we failed. None of them are negative because in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this. I know the thoughts I have for you, says the NIV. I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, not of evil. He's not been sitting around thinking, I can't believe he did that again. I can't believe she said. He, what he's saying is, man, I, 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 he's going to do this and she's going to be a part of this. I have such huge plans for you. He says to give you a hope and to give you a future. Future is what you will be one day. Not what you are right now. You're called to be a part of something greater. And so the Bible says this, that we're called to be a part and one of the things that we're called to be a part of, it says in John 1, 12, it says, But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. You are called to be a part of a family. Now, this is what we say about the Victory Church. I say it. I don't know if mom and dad say it. <laughs> because this was, I grew up in the Victory Church. And this was the role the Victory Church was to me. Most of my family, I did not know. Growing up, my uncles and others, because mom and dad were here, and all of my Aunt Shirley and Uncle Billy, they were a part. I only knew family when it related to church. Just like dad talked about, well, go Sister Vandy being one of his kids' uh, godfather, godmothers, is because I, you know, as even now, you know, saying I did not know my grandmother very well because she lived a long way away. Those were a long time ago, and. You know, or she lived in Hampton. That was a long way away for us. But we would maybe go once a month to see her. I didn't know Granny that well. But I knew grandmothers my whole life. And there are people in this room that, even like Miss Jane, remember, I remember when you were this big in the nursery, the church was a family to me. I don't know what you're coming out of, but this is what we say in Eldorado because I, I'm kind of responsible for that campus, is that we may not do church exactly the way it's supposed to be done because I just don't know how. I'm not that smart. Um, I lean on our leadership, but, you know, I may not know all the traditions. And like I say, they invite me to do funerals a lot of times, and I walk up and everybody knows what they're doing but me. And I'm always buddying up with the funeral director. Like, where am I supposed to stand? What am I supposed to do? Because I don't maybe know how to do church right. But we didn't build a church, a church to do church right in the elderator. We, we don't have a business in Eldorado, although we do have to have 501c3s and have to do all the things right and all that, but we're not a business. We have to do business, but we're not a business. We're not an organization. You know what I'm saying? We have leaders and deacons and leadership and all that, but that's not, we are a family. And if you don't belong anywhere else, you can belong to the Victory Church in the family of the Victory Church. But God said this. He said that you are a family a part of the family of God. As many that receive him will be called children of God, have the right, I'm sorry, have the right. Now, the problem with it is the enemy has constantly tried to convince every single person in here, every single day they get up, that they're not good enough to be what God created you to be. He, he tries to convince us that, you know, what we are or what we've done or where we've been or what we've come from or where we came from or what we've been through it changes the value that each one of us have when it comes to the family of God. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you've done backslide 15 times and you're just now trying to get back in. Maybe the enemy's constantly trying to convince you that you don't belong to this family. You know, one of the greatest tactics of the enemy in our day is to attack the family unit. That's why he's trying to get the laws changed to what true marriage is. He's trying to cause 
homes to be fatherless homes. You know, most crimes created in America are created are committed by people that have absent fathers in the home. He's, it's been a, a war, onslaught warfare on the family unit in our nation, but the same tactics the enemy has been trying to use in the church. And you got to know this. The Bible says this. The Bible says that you have a right to be called the child of God. Now, you've got to make the decision, do you believe that or not? Because you may not feel like you have a right. The devil may have convinced you you don't have a right, but you need to know you have a right. Now, what does that right mean? That right to be a part of the family, it tells us our worth. Now, as a pastor, over the years, I've been accused of a lot of things. And some of them I, I admit to, some of them I don't. Right? But one of the things I got accused of for several years was, Cricket, you play favorites in the church. And that used to bother me real bad. Do I play favorites? And then I got to thinking about it. You know, I love all the children of the world. <laughs> all right. I, I, we say that again. But I do love children. I was a children's pastor for 17 years. And so I love children. I like children. But I got to be honest with you. There are three children that I love more than any other child on this planet. And if I, I love your child and I'll help your child, but I'm going to just be honest with you. If it comes down between your child and my child eating, my child's eating, all right? If it's up to me. You know why? Sorry, yeah, I don't mind, Ernest. And my child, why? Because I have three children that are mine. They're not yours. They're mine. God gave them to me. They are my children. And because God gave them to me, even when I don't want to love them, I can't keep from it. Even when they make me mad, I can't help it. Me and Jennifer was laughing yesterday about some stuff Isla did. She got in my car, and if you get in my car and you pull it down, she, uh, one of the visors down, she took lipstick and drew a picture of her and daddy up on the visor of my winter. And I did not like that. But I got to be honest with you, every time I see it, I love that kid even more. It's, that's the thing about my kid. All right, the thing about it is this. You're God's kid. Does God have a favorite? Absolutely he has a favorite. You're his favorite. The Bible says you are the apple of his eye. As a matter of fact, you're even his favorite, even above the kids that did everything right. Because God, the Bible says God had a son that had never messed up, a son that had never sinned, a son that had done everything right. And then there was me and you. And he said, oh, which one do I love more? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that's your value. And people that don't understand they're part of the family of God, they never live their value. And when you don't live your value, you live a lower level of life. It's shown in the Bible story of the prodigal son. The Bible says the prodigal, there was a man in the Bible that had, or they said the kingdom of heaven was like a man who had two sons. And one of his sons came to him and said, Daddy, I want my inheritance now. Man, that's crazy. My kids better not pull that. Because you know what they'll get? I'll reach into my pocket. I'll pull them out. And if they say, what is that? I'll say, baby, that's when I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. Because I'm going to spend every dollar I have while I'm on this planet. You're, I'm going to leave you that. All right? But no, he goes, Daddy, I want your money. And the Bible said this. Now, check this out. The Bible said he took his inheritance and he gave it to them. He didn't give it to him. He gave it to them. Now, the thing about it was God gave both sons their inheritance while he was still there. Why? Because God wants to bless his children right here, right now, not when you get to heaven. Your inheritance as a child of God. Now, the thing about it is one of the children did not understand the value of family. 
And so he took what the father gave him and he left the relationships. He left his father and he left his brothers and he left the house and he went and lived life the way he wanted to. And the Bible says that he lived loosely. If you read it in the King James, it says, and he lived loosely. It didn't say he got into great sin. It said he just lived loosely. Now, I don't know about you, but how many loose ways are we living? I got to be honest, I'm trying to constantly see God, where am I losing? Because I'm living loosely. But it says he lost what the father had given him. And he found himself living in a field, in a place that he never thought he would be living in doing what he never thought he would be doing, eating things that Jewish children thought would never be eaten. He, Jewish kids didn't hang out with pigs, didn't eat pigs, didn't associate with pigs, didn't raise pigs. And here he was living in the fields and eating with the pigs. And he found out real quick, there was nothing out there that would meet the needs of what he had on the inside of here. It didn't matter how much he spent on it, how far he went with it, he was still missing. But then Bob said he came to himself. And he said this, he said, at my father's house, even the servants have a better life than I have here. And it says he got up and he started going toward the father's house. Now, you need to understand right there, he started going in the right direction, and we celebrate that. But the enemy had convinced him because of what he'd done, where he'd been, what he'd been through. He had lost the right to be called a child of God and thought he'll spend the rest of his life although in the Father's house, but having to be a lower-level Christian. Enemy convinces people that you can't really be a part of the family the way you desire to be because of where you come from, what you did. So you'll come in being a servant. And you'll, you'll stay in the back and you'll do what you're asked to do. See, there's a difference between a servant and a son. A servant does the work because he's told to. A son does the work because it's his responsibility, it's his work. You know, I've mowed grass in my life for people that paid me because it wasn't my grass. Nobody pays me to mow my grass at my house. I have to. It's my responsibility. Why? Because it's my. It's where my family is. It's my responsibility. So the enemy's constantly trying to get us to think that we're not as good as, or we're not as we've messed up too much, or and if he can convince you that you're not quality. Christian, you're not child of God. You can be servant of God. Then you give the inheritance up. Because servants don't get inheritances. Sons of God do. You need to understand. God's got such great things for you. You don't have to. And you don't have. There's nothing my kids did to earn me being their father. I'm their dad. And I can tell you this. God has never missed a child support payment. God has never. Now, we, a lot of times, we're as children of God, we only give the Father weekend visiting rights. But if you will understand that you're a child of God, that relationship is you out there and in here. That relationship with you is on your job and in here in this man. You will see that you're a part of something bigger than you ever thought you could be. So you're a part of the family of God. Number two, you're part of the body of Christ. And... 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about, and would, to keep from going into a lot of reading, you can read it yourself. We ain't got a whole lot of time. But it says that, you know, the body, we are the body of Christ, and there are many members, but yet one body. But each member has a function. Now, being a part of the family gives you your value. If you look in a mirror and you don't see what God sees, then you need to get back in the Word and let that become your mirror. 
and you read Psalms 139 and you read all the parts that he described you in great detail because your value is being a child of God. Now, you got to understand this. Part of the body of Christ is that everyone is in here. This is a church and the church is the body of Christ. But he goes into detail talking about you're a part of this and you have a function. You get your worth from being part of the family. But you get your function as being part of the body. Now, all the time people say, well, Cricket, I can serve God and love God and be a Christian and be a child of God and not be a part of the church. I agree. You can do a lot of things in life and live a lower level of life. You can, you can, the other day I was at a condo and one of the gentlemen, it was snowbird season, and so one of the guys found out I was a preacher. I usually try to keep that quiet because they act different. But this guy instantly said, um, you know, hey, you're a preacher? I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, I, I, I love God. I got a relationship with God, but I don't go to church. And I said, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard. And he said, well, I don't think you got to go to church to have a relationship with God. I said, you don't. The problem with not being a part of a church is, yeah, you can have a relationship with God, but you don't get to be a part of the body. You don't get a relationship with me. I don't get a relationship with you. You you need, you were born for purpose. You were born for relationship. You were born to be a part of something and you were born to be a part of the body of Christ. Now, the way you know you're a part of the body of Christ is you produce and do your function. Now, say for instance, everybody, if I'm looking for Andy. Where's Miss Andy? Come here, Miss Andy. I, I would use my own arm, but I don't want to intimidate anybody in here. All right? I'm going to use Miss Andy's. All right? Now, this arm right here is a part of the body. This is the body. This is an arm. Now, with the terminology, a lot of people try, well, I don't have to be a part of the body to be a child of God. You don't. You don't. But let me show you this. If I took this body and I cut this arm off, no matter how strong this arm is today, no matter how agile, how functional, how good, how good it works, how experienced, how all the stuff this arm could do. If I chopped it off right now and I took the body and I set it on that speaker and I took the arm and I set it on that speaker and I separated that arm from the body, what would happen over time is this body would heal and this body would grow and this body would live and this body would continue. But do you know what would happen to the arm? The minute it's disconnected, you may not realize it right at first. The color may stay the same. You know, the tenderness may be the same. But what happens right off, the first thing that takes place is it gets stiff. It'll get real stiff. It'll get hard to work with. It'll get difficult to move. And then what happens is this. It begins to dry up. And you leave that arm over the it begins to dry up and shrivel up. It's instantly lost its strength. And if I leave it over there long enough, it'll eventually be gone. Thank you, sir. And so you were created to be a part of the body. Now, the thing about being a part of the body is it says that because you're a part of the body, there is a function connected to the part. You're not what I am and I am not what you are. And I'm glad that I don't have a body full of the same parts. But the thing about it is if you don't produce your function, whatever part is, whatever the part of your body is, then what happens if you're not using it and it doesn't work? If my arm quit working today, if it just quit working... Well, at first I would coddle it and think, well, maybe it's been hurt, you know, and maybe it's been, you know, damaged or abused in some way. So I'll take care of it for a little while. I'll hold it and protect it and coddle it. But as time progresses and that arm still doesn't function, 
what'll happen is I'll start realizing there's something wrong with it. So then I'll go see professionals. I'll go to a doctor, get them to x-ray and try to figure out why this arm ain't working. And if they can't figure out why this arm ain't functioning and working, then what eventually happen is I will be forced with the decision, do I remove the arm or not? And the Bible's real clear that when we, as a part of the body, don't produce, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And it says that when we don't produce... The Father comes and He sees the branches that aren't producing and He prunes them. Now, let me be honest with you. I've been pastoring long enough now to know I don't take it personal anymore when somebody leaves the church because a lot of times it's not the leadership's fault. They may walk out the door saying, well, I'm not being fed. Or they may walk out saying, you know what, I, uh, I, that, I don't like the way they do this. What it is is they just got stiff, hard, dried up, shriveled up, hard and difficult to move around. But the thing is, it's because they actually, even while they were here, they quit doing their function. Then they began to be disconnected from the body. And then what happens is they're eventually in the body no more. It breaks my heart when we see people that are supposed to be a part. They're not doing their part. And in a matter of time, they're no longer here. But we don't take it personal anymore. Because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. What you need to understand is the church just don't need you. You need the church. You need to be your part. And let me tell you the secret to, to function. You know what I'm saying? The Bible, I mean, the body's built where your heart beats and it produces and it pushes pressure and causes blood to flow all the way to every member. And as long as blood is flowing into these members, they're supposed to function properly. And what being moved around and functioning does, it causes the blood to flow faster. You want to get blessed beyond what you're being blessed at now? You want the rate of God to increase in your life? Start being used. Start letting God you let you produce your function. Start moving and doing what you're were created to be a part of. So there are people in here that have never done anything in this church. And you're saying, well, I don't like the way they do that. They're, you can already feel the rigor rigorous, whatever that word is, starting to come in. They're starting to get a little stiff. They're starting to get... The thing about it is if you would just start letting yourself be used, you'll find your function. You say, well, Cricket, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Just start signing up. You'll find it. Just start signing up. Start volunteering. Start showing up because you're created to be a part of the body. Number two. Now, what you've got to understand is, see, the body of Christ, the body is a two-fold understanding. One, the body is a container. But then two, the body has the essence or presence in it. It's kind of a two-fold thing. In other words, like with me, this is my body, but I'm on the inside of here. You say, okay, I don't know how to get close to the Lord. But become a part of the body. Because guess where Jesus hangs out? In his body. If I can't find God anywhere else, I can find him in the body. The Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name. There he is. The body is what, when you become a part of the body, it releases power in your life. And I'm telling you, like we were talking about in Matthew 14, in a desolate place, if your marriage is a wreck, if your job is a wreck, if everything in your life is wilderness and desert, start getting into a group in this church. Connect yourself with people so that life can begin to grow, so blood can begin to flow, and you will find what God put you for, and joy will overtake your life just by being a part of the body that you were made to be. Number three, you're a part of the house. 
Now, in 1 Peter 2.25, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, you get your value from the family. You get your function from the body. All right? You find out what your functions are by being a part of the body. But now in this one, this is when you're a part of the house, what you get here, this is where your responsibility comes in. Now, at my house, I have three girls. They're all three different ages. They're all three different learning ages. They're all three different ability ages. But every one of them have responsibilities in my house. Because although what their responsibilities do not earn the roof over their head, what it does do is it lets me know that they're going to be able to accomplish their future. When you don't become a part of a house and you don't take on part of the responsibility, what it does is it limits what you will be able to do in the future. My kids have to wash dishes, not the baby, but the big one. My kids have to take out trash, not the baby, but there are certain responsibilities. If they make a mess, I expect them to clean it up. And I'm just being that's as a dad, and that's what I see as a good father because I want their future to be as great as it possibly can be. I want them to have instilled on the inside of them what it takes for them to accomplish their, their potential and their ability, but it takes them having responsibility here and now for them to be able to be what God has created them to be in the future. In this house, you have a responsibility. And I'm going to say it. If you only come here and make a mess during service time and leave, and you're not any part of anywhere cleaning up any part of your mess, you're not fulfilling your destiny. You're not going to be all that God... Because you have to be able... The Bible says, Who is faithful in the least of these, I will make ruler over much. If you can't be responsible just being a member, God can never move you into a place of being a ruler. There's a house that this is. The Bible says, You live on your part. Now, one of the great parts of the... Uh, the great uh, parables in the Bible talking about your responsibility. It says, it talks about there was a master and that's, it's drawn the picture of a house. It says, and he went away to a far off land and three of the servants in his house, he left talents to. He gave one five, one two, and one one. Now the one with five, he went out and made five, made ten. The one with two, he went out, took his, used his two, made four. The one with one blows my mind because of this. He worked harder at not doing what he was supposed to do than any of the rest worked doing what they were supposed to do. The Bible says he actually went into a field. He was the only one that did physical labor that I see in the scripture where he had to dig a hole in a field. So, you know, I've dug a lot of ditches. I know what that feels like. That was actually physical work. Getting You ever met somebody that works harder to get out of work than they do to go to work? Man, I tell you, and to be honest with you, as a pastor, we see this in the church. There, you're a part of this house. It says you're a living stone. And so there, there's parts of this house that should be held up by you. And if you will be a part of the house that you're supposed to be, the stone that God created you to be, and you will live and function and move that thing, what happens is this. Automatically, what you have, God will give you the ability to double. It says he went into the marketplace. The one that had five got ten. 
The one that had two. But the Bible says the one that had one, it says this is what he said. He said, I was afraid. How many of you are in here are so afraid that you're going to fail that you won't even try to do something? How many of us are so afraid that we hide the gold that God's given us in our hearts instead of being used to be a part of the house? Because fear will keep you. Fear, you people think, well, they're going to think I'm a hypocrite. People are going to judge. I don't care what you're afraid of. Don't let fear cause you to hide what God has put in you. And the thing about it is this. Fear will. Fear will tell you you're not enough. Fear will tell you fear is a prophetic spirit. It's speaking to you. You can either believe it or the word. And then he said this. He says, I knew you were a hard man. I, I'm going to say, I know he was listening to a demonic spirit for him to accuse God of being hard. I tell you, God is nothing but good. God is good and can only do good. So if he's asking you to do something hard, it's going to be good. You just got to take a step out and do it. And so he says, God is good and he only wants good. But then it says this. It says, he goes, he says, I knew you, you were a hard man and... You reap where you do not sow. You need to know something. God has never reaped where He didn't sow. He's not asking anything of you that He's not already given you. Everything you have is good comes from God. Some people say, well, you know, God just wants my money. You only got money because God gave it to you. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. God, well, God only wants me to go work. No, 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 no. You understand. The only reason why you have the ability to work is because we have a good God. You need to know God has never asked anything from you. He has not already given you in the first place. You can be stingy with what He's given you. But the Bible says God judged that as being wicked and lazy. Are we hiding what God's given us? You're a part of this house. And then fourthly, you're a part of God's plan. You've got to understand how big his plan is and how specifically detailed it is. And the way you were created for this moment in this time. Enemy likes to convince, usually always tries to play with me when I'm reading the Bible. I'll read great stories about great men and great women and think, man, God loved them so much. He gave them the opportunity to do that. And I've actually met people that when they read the Bible, they think that God thought Adam was more important than them. Or they thought David was more important than them. The only one that was more important in the Bible was Jesus because he's the only one that could do it. God could have used anybody else in any other role. Jesus, was, But God, Jesus was not more important to you because the Bible says, remember, it goes back to the family, your worth. He traded Jesus for you. Jesus did not die for your sin. He could have sinned for free. He didn't have to pay for that. He paid for you. He died for you. And by His death, it paid for your sin. You had the devil constantly convincing us that our worth is not there. And because you're so, the reason why God sees you so valuable because He sees the potential you have. He knows what you can do and function in this house. Then He looks at it and says, Wow, you know, I've created them. I've put them as a living stone because they're going to build my house. And you need to know this. The Bible says if you'll build God's house... He'll build yours. If you'll let yourself do that. But then God's plan is this. You're not more important than Adam. I mean, Adam was not more important to God than you. David was not more important. Because the Bible teaches this principle. He saves his best for last. You're here right here, right now. And we're created and are who you are to be a part of God's grand plan across creation. He has such a plan for you that you will change the world as we know it. That's why you're living in a little town in Arkansas going to 
by standards of mega churches, a little church, because God always starts with seeds. They're always small. It's the process, but He always has great potential to be way more than what they could ever been. Don't let the enemy convince you that you're not a major working part of the plan of God right where you are, right where you're doing. But the problem with it is this. Most of us don't know what our part is. And I'm about to answer that question for every single person in this room. The number one question I get asked as a pastor is, Kirk, what's the will of God for my life? How many of you guys would like to know the answer to that one today? I'm fixing to tell you, the question will be over. You are called to be a kingdom builder. You were put here to be a kingdom builder. Everything in God's plan is about building the kingdom of God. But see, a lot of times we take our life that God's given us and we do one of three things with it. Some of us waste it. You know, we, we get so self-focused on ourselves and the pain and the hurts and the things that we go through that we'll go through this whole life drinking it away or pilling it away or, you know what I'm saying, selfishing it away, addiction in it away, and you will waste your life. You can waste your life. Then there are some that spend their life. And the truth be told, you know, money can buy things, but they can buy different things of value. I can take a $20 bill and I can go spend that $20 on something that's worth 20 or I can be getting taken by a con artist and buy something worth a dollar for 20 The devil's constantly conning people into spending their life on something that's not worth a dollar. If you're spending your life... See, some people spend their whole life building their body. They're bodybuilders. But the truth of the matter is there will be a day. I don't care how many years and days you build on that body. You're going to be a bodybuilder, build big muscles. And there will be a day when that body will be gone. You're going to get old. I found that out a couple years ago. My eyes started fading. i got to wear glasses at night. That's crazy. All right? I don't care how strong you are. If you spend your life being a bodybuilder, it won't be there one day. You can spend your life building wealth. And the truth about wealth is this. One day, somebody else will spend it. You can spend your life building a career. And there will come a day... You will not have that job. Or you can spend your life building eternity. And that's the kingdom of God. And the Bible says this. The Bible says in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in, um, I got to find, <laughs> it says uh, in John, 1 John 2, 7. It says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. You say, well, cricket, what, what? What is the purpose? Bible says, if I'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, the rest of my life begins to work. If I will become a kingdom builder, if I will be a part of building the kingdom, you say, well, cricket, how do I build the kingdom? But the Bible says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. If you work in the field, you go to work for God, you be God on the job, you tell people about God on the job, you get people saved on the job, and then you invite them to church with you. If, if you, if you go to, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're raising children, you teach your children about God, you build the kingdom, you just don't let the world tell your kids what's okay and how to live. You do kingdom work. Whatever you do, it says, do it as unto the Lord. What he's saying is there, everything you're a part of, use it to build part of the kingdom. When I come to church, I don't come to church just to get something from me. You're supposed to come to church and be a part of building the kingdom of God. And if you will build the kingdom of God, everything in your life will begin to work. 
And when everything else is gone, when everyone else is gone, when you are no longer here, your life will have mattered. The reason why every one of us are here today is because somebody before us prayed for us. Somebody before us served somewhere in a church for us. Somebody somewhere did something before we got here that built and saved and got people ready so that when God put us on the planet, there would be a kingdom of God that we could be a part of. Now our responsibility is, are you going to build it? Are you going to be a part of taking it to the next level? Because how do you live a life beyond you? You don't build it building empires and build it building uh, huge bank accounts. And build it, although God don't have any problem with huge bank accounts, or building but if it serves the purpose of the kingdom of God, your life makes sense. And it allows God to come inside your heart and cause things to happen on the inside of you, through you, out in the world that you could have never done on your own. You are very, very, very important. And you are a part of something greater than you could ever imagine. I want to pray with you real quick. I'm done. You may be here today and the enemy has convinced you you're not a part of the family. You've done messed up. You've blown it. You've screwed up too many times, too many ways. And nobody wants you. I want you to know something. God wants you. He was willing to pay whatever it took to get you. You're valuable to Him. Even if you've burnt every other relationship down in your life, you could never burn it down from Him. David said this, I can go to the highest of the high, you're there. I go to the lowest of the low, there, you're there. I go to mother, see, there. You are so valuable to God. He would do anything to make you a part of His family. Let me tell you this. If you're not saved here today, adoption, the Bible actually, the Scripture says that you are adopted. You know what's so amazing about adoption? I didn't get to choose my kids. They were just the kids I had. I love parents that adopt kids because they love children that were not forced upon. In other words, I wanted kids. We had kids, but I didn't get to pick them. Parents that adopt, they pick their kids. God picked you. He picked you. Out of everybody in the world, He wanted you and He picked you. And so if you're not a part of the family, today is your day. You need to be a part of something bigger than you. you got a place to belong. Oh, you're so valuable. God, is, God loves you so much. And all you have to do is allow Him to adopt you into this family and you will belong. If you're not a part of a church, you need to get in this one. If you're not a part of a house, if you're not carrying some responsibility, do not walk out of here today back into a deserted place and not... Won't not allow God to cause things to grow. You do that by connecting into small groups, getting into a group of 50. And then you, if you will move yourself into being a kingdom builder, God will use you to do things that you never could do before because heaven and earth pass away, but his kingdom will live forever. I want everybody in the room to pray with me. And then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask anybody to, um, I don't want to put anybody on the spot yet, but I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray with me. I'm going to lead you in the salvation prayer because I just feel like there's somebody in here that doesn't belong to the family. And I want to put them on a spot. I don't want to put them, in, I don't want to embarrass them anyway, but I want you to get a chance to join the family of God today, all right? So I'm going to ask everybody to pray. You ready? And if that's you, I want you to mean this prayer, all right? Let's do this. Say, Dear Father, I ask you to forgive me for anything in my life that I would have done that would separate me from you. 
God, I believe that you love me enough that you sent your only begotten son to die on the cross for me. And you saw value in me when there was no value that I was living. And Lord, I believe Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again. And now I have a relationship and I can be a part of the family of God. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.